When, when the Spirit laid this word on my heart, I thought it was quite apt, given that we are doing exactly that. We are making our home with you. But more importantly, Jesus wants to do that with us. And today I'll be reading from John 14, and from verses 15 to 23. John 14, 15 to 23. Jesus is speaking. He says, if you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them. And I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other disciple with that name, said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. May the Holy Spirit give us understanding in Jesus' name. Amen. Interestingly, at the end of that passage, when the Judas, who is not the infamous Judas, asked the question, Jesus doesn't really answer the question, does he? He doesn't, does he? He's like, who knows what that's like? When you're asking God something and then he tells you something else, like, God, that's, that's not what I was asking about. That's not what I was asking about. But here Jesus is talking about something beautiful. He's saying, I will come and make my home with you. That is his response. You know, from the beginning of scriptures to its end, what we know about God, what we see about God, is that God always wants to dwell with his people. He always wants to be with us. He doesn't want to be away from us. He always wants to dwell with his people. He always wants to be close to us. God is a bit like Emma in that way. Sorry. But the reality is that when God comes to dwell with us, God doesn't come to dwell as a passenger. Because Jesus talks about his Father, he says, my Father is always at work, so I am always at work. So God doesn't come to dwell in our lives as a passenger. He wants to dwell with us, but he wants to do life with us as well. The biggest problem we see is not necessarily God's availability to us, but it's our availability to God. We see it when Jesus walked on earth. 
forgotten how to be doing slides. <laughs> so there you go, God always wants to be with us. Tick. We see when Jesus walked on up, I love the message version, but it says that the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. And for many, they were able to experience the wonderful blessing of God dwelling amongst humanity. But it wasn't in every space that this blessing was experienced. There were some spaces where Jesus walked into and people welcomed him and he made his home with them. Because to make your home with someone, I was thinking about it, because one of the things that you have said to Emma, the boys, and I, and we are so grateful for this, is that you said, you know, we want you to really feel at home here. We want you to really feel at home. I started asking myself the question, what does that, what does that actually mean? And I think you are at home in a place where you can express yourself freely, where you can move freely, where there are no restrictions. And there's some spaces where Jesus was here and he was given that platform, but there were other spaces where he wasn't. And I wonder about that for myself. I think to myself, am I allowing Christ to move freely in my life? The thing about us is that when we have, when we go to someone's house and they say, please make yourself at home, be free, express yourself, we still kind of journey as guests in the house. When we were, when we were coming down to do the interviews, um, Emma and I were staying with the lovely Paul and Leslie, and the children were like, please, my house is your house. Make yourself free. Use everything. Whatever you want. And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we still didn't. <laughs> Not yet, though. Not yet. <laughs> the next visit, we just want to call a big box and take everything from the fridge. <laughs> but we didn't. But we kind of like that. When someone invites us, we still move as guests. I wonder if there's a sense in which sometimes God invites us into his life. Though he's calling us to be children, we still journey with God as guests. I wonder if that's something for someone. But the good news is that when we are open to Christ, when we genuinely say to him, come and make your home with me, God always takes us up on the offer. God moves, God works, God does. God is not shy. Just think about those who welcomed Jesus into their home. Jesus was hosting prayer meetings, revival. One of them lost their roof. Jesus was just doing as he liked that. Because when we invite God in, God fully comes in. The question is always, is God free to express himself in a particular place? You know, if you were hosting someone who was a chef and you were hosting them in your house, but you said to them, you can be here, but don't go in the kitchen. You've kind of put restrictions over there. Because it's easy to say you are welcome here, but it's very easy to make someone know that actually you're not welcome. 
You know, you could, for example, if suddenly the mic went off, it would be like, yeah, you're the pastor, but we don't really want to hear you speaking. It's easy to say you are welcome, but our actions prove the point more, and it's the same with God. And so one of the key elements to make people feel welcome is to know that. To make people say, yes, you are welcome into this space, you are welcome into my life, is to know them because then you will know the things that you could say or do that will make them feel comfortable or not. So for example, when Emma and I started dating, all the secrets coming out, I didn't even warn Emma. When Emma and I started dating, if, if Emma had said, to me at that point. She had said, you know what, Andy? In this relationship, there will be no watching of football. There will just be no watching of football. There will be no Manchester United. There will be none of that in this relationship. Then there probably would have been no Asha or Joshi. It just would not have happened. I mean, I love her more than Man United now, of course, but back then it was kind of like a tie. You know, at the beginning. Similarly, if, if I had said to Emma, you know, Em, in this relationship, I really, really don't want us to talk about buses or road maps or traffic. That's just not on the table. Similarly, there wouldn't be no Asha or Joshi. Because when you know who you're dealing with, then you know whether you're creating an environment and a space where they can actually feel at home. Whether you are putting barriers up to them fully expressing themselves, or whether you're saying, yeah, you're welcome here, but actually, there are restrictions. Restrictions were put up on Jesus all the time by the Pharisees, by his own people in Nazareth. And so I thought, how do we make God feel how do we say to God by our actions and by our lives, Lord, you are fully welcome to express yourself here? Because as I was thinking of coming to Alton, I, I reflected on spaces and communities of churches where the Spirit was moving without a doubt, where God was at work. And I said, oh, I really, really want that to be us. I said, yes, Lord. Come and move. God is like, yeah, I want to come and move, but will you let me in? The scripture tells us three things consistently about God. It tells us a lot about God, but we'll be here all day. But three consistent things the scripture mentions. The first consistently mentioned about God is that he is a safe space. If God is doing God, then he is a safe space for people. If God is being God, if God is truly expressing himself, then he's drawing to himself those who are broken, then he's drawing to himself those who are oppressed, then he's drawing to himself those who are downtrodden and saying, you are safe here. And he's bringing them healing. And if you have heard of a God that doesn't do that, then you haven't heard of the God of the Scriptures. Because we see it in Jesus' life. 
Never mind that David says it over and over and over again. But we see in Jesus' life that he is a safe space. The broken and the marginalized, they run towards Jesus. So if God is doing God, he is a safe space for others. But there's a line from William Carey, and he says this, I don't know if you've heard it before, he says, without God, we cannot. Without us, God will not. And there's that idea that when God wants to move in the world, the question is always the same, who shall I send who will go for us? Who can I make a home with? So if God wants to do God and be a safe space for others, but if we are a hostile space as an individual or as a community, if we're a hostile space, if we are a condemned space, if we're a space that is empty of joy and empty of peace, then we are putting barriers up to God being God. Because what he wants to do is be a safe space. And if God is going to make his home with us, if God is going to be welcomed in to our journey, then we must give him an environment where he can be himself. There is that story, I don't think it's a true story, but that a, a minister said, he spoke about this lady, she hadn't been in church for a long time. Maybe not ever since she was a kid. And so she said, you know what, I feel like I must go to church. I feel like I must find Jesus. So she gets up, she goes to church. She doesn't know what to wear, you know, she doesn't have any hats or anything, she doesn't know what to wear. So she just shows up a few things and, and shows up in church. But the church members, they're not, they're not happy with how she's dressed, and they're, and they're shaking their heads, and they're not impressed, and they, so they go to the minister and they say, hey, Mr. Minister man, you need to speak to that lady, you need to talk to her about how she's dressed. So Mr. Minister man, he goes to the lady and he says, I think you need to spend time speaking to God about how you dress before you come back next Sunday. And so, next Sunday came around, and she was still dressed the exact same way. And the people are not happy, they're shaking their heads at Mr. Minister Man. And so he pulls her alongside at the end of the service and he said, did you spend any time with God asking how she dressed to come to this church? And she said, yes, I did. And he said, and what did God say? And she said, God says he doesn't know, he doesn't go to that church. <laughs> and the reality is, if we want God to move, we have to be a space where we give him the freedom to be himself. The scriptures say, Jesus says that no one comes to him unless they are sent by the Father. We have to be people in our individual spaces, in our families, in our home, and as a church, where when God wants to send someone to Jesus, 
he sends them to us. That has to be our prayer. That has to be our journey. Another thing that the scriptures consistently tell us is that God is love. God says of himself, I am filled with unfading love, with faithful love, and I pour it out. That means that to journey with God is to journey with love. That means if we are truly journeying with God, one thing that we should always know is just how loved we are. Just how precious we are to Him. Every time God gives a reason for doing something, it always goes back to, because I love you. Why did I rescue Israel? Because I love you. Why did God send His Son? Because I love you. Why are we called children of God? Because he loves us. You know, recently I came across a book that I thought would have been an excellent title for the Bible because the Bible just means library. Library. And I came across a book that was titled, In the End, It Was All About Love. In the End, It Was All About Love. And I thought, what an excellent title that would have been for the scriptures. Because God's faithful love is who he is and is the driving force of everything he does. So if God is doing God, then he is loving those who come into his space. And so if we are making God feel welcome, if we're making God feel at home in our lives, then we are people who encourage and affirm and lift up. We are people who, when others are around, they feel better. They feel 10 feet tall. We're not those people that are like, oh, I don't want to go down Andy's house. I was feeling bad about myself already. I don't want to go there. Which is what some people say about church. They're like, but I'm feeling bad about myself already. I don't want to go to church. But if God is going to do that he's going to be proclaiming his love. And if he will make his home with us, if we will welcome him in, then we must take that posture as well. Because the reality is there is only so much that we can offer somebody else as a safe space or as love or with words of affirmation, but it is always like the bread and the fish, isn't it? The little that we offer, God can do extraordinary things with it. But what are we giving him is the question. Are we asking the chef not to go into the kitchen? God is love. And I guess what we're reminded all about God and I'm just going to check something. Okay, I did a little bit of a late night work. For God is a God who saves. So for now, the prophet said about him, he says, your God is a warrior who is present to save. Our God is a God who saves. Jesus repeatedly said about himself, I did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. 
And Jesus says to us, he says, I am sending you as I was sent. And Jesus paints a picture about what our God's saving looks like in Luke 4. When he speaks of his manifesto and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to proclaim good news for the broken, deliverance for the captive, freedom for the oppressed, new eyes for the blind, and a restoration to God's favor. Our God is a God who saves. When Jesus is present, there is hope for those who are broken. When Jesus is present, there is deliverance from whatever the oppression can be. When Jesus is present, there is freedom from all captivity. When Jesus is present, there is new perspective for those who have lost their way. Our God is a God who saves. And if we are going to allow God do God, then we must be people who believe this truth. We must be people of hope and therefore people of prayer. We cannot proclaim a God who is limited by our own limitations. We cannot proclaim a God who can do as much as what we can do, who can affect a situation as much as we can affect it. The God of the scriptures is a God who saves, is a God for whom nothing is impossible. And if we are to walk with that God, if we are to see God be that God, we must be people who never stop believing in that truth, who never lose hope. And people of hope are people of prayer. Because when we believe that our God saves, when it's not just a song that we sing, but it's a truth that we are convicted of, then we continue to cry out. As the people of Israel did, Hosanna, Hosanna. Sometimes we cry out in thanksgiving because of who he is. We cry out in thanksgiving that we worship a God for whom nothing is impossible. And at other times we cry out because we need to see him in this way. For we are people of hope, people who do not stop proclaiming. We cannot make the mistake that has been made in so many Christian journeys where we create a God in our own image. A God who can only do as best as humanity can do. I've walked journeys in my own life and in my own story where if I presented the situation before you, you would say, no, that is impossible. This is only going to end one way and it is going to end very badly. Even with the best 
women in the world, even with the best doctors and counselors and psychiatrists and medicine, this is going to only end one way and this is going to end very badly. But I have seen God be God. And you know what? When we cry out to God, He, in His wisdom, has been known to say on occasions, Stop crying out to me about that and do something else. But we don't have to dictate that to Him. Our role is to be people of faith and people of hope who stand in the truth of who our Jesus is. Our God is a God who saves. And that is why in his wisdom, Jesus brought us together as church. Because there will be moments when I am too weak to proclaim that, but you are strong enough to proclaim it. There are moments when I'm too broken to sing those words, but you are strong enough to sing it. And together we build ourselves up and we give God the platform to be God. Our God is a safe space. He is constantly reaching out for the broken. So I I must be a safe space too. Our God is love. He's constantly making people know that they are precious, that they are treasured, that they are His. So I must live a life of love too. Our God is a God who saves. In this world, where we can feel harassed and helpless, my goodness, how we need a Savior. And we have him in Jesus Christ. We give so many things and so many people freedom to express themselves in our lives. There's a joke going around for football fans that says, oh, just me um, giving the, the hope of my mental health to 11 men kicking the ball for the next 10 months. And we let so many things into our lives to freely express themselves, our fears, our mistakes, the things that we did in the past, the things that we cannot do, work, relationships. There's so many things that freely express themselves in our lives. But let us be a people in this season where the one who is at the center, the one who is free to be him, is Jesus Christ our Lord. And we will be amazed at what he will do in this place. Amen. Amen. Let us pray.